ora, ko Debbie Tokoingua. I'm Debbie Clark. Kia ora, ko Josie Tokoingua. I'm Josie Major. Welcome back to the Good Awaits podcast. Today we are starting a two-part series, which is going to be all about the destination management planning process that's been going on across Aotearoa New Zealand for the last couple of years. So this is going to be uh, two episodes. The first one today, we're going to be speaking to Kitty Golter from Regional Tourism New Zealand, who has been supporting the regions throughout their their work to create these destination management plans. And then we're going to be speaking with Susan Hodge McKenzie from Otago University, who has been researching the process. So both of these guests are going to help to give an overview of what this process has been and what it's looked like across the country. And then in our next episode, we're going to be speaking with two regions who have been going through this process and who have been taking a regenerative approach in the way that they've been going about that. So you're going to get more of a deep dive into what this process has looked like on the ground, the kinds of community engagement that's been going on, and how regenerative lens has been applied in particular regions. Um, so we're pretty excited about this sort of this two part, and we felt that it um, deserved two episodes to really dive into this. What's been a huge part of the sort of tourism landscape over the last couple of years in New Zealand. Yeah, and for our international listeners, our regional tourism organisations have traditionally been destination marketing organisations (DMOs). We have thirty-one of them across New Zealand. And they're all a little bit different. There's quite a range of diversity amongst them. Some are embedded in councils, some have different funding structures, some have small areas that they are responsible for, others have a large geographic region. So this diversity among the regional tourism organizations has presented challenges in how they approach this destination management planning process. So you're going to hear about that as we, as we talk to both Kitty and Susan. So in mid-2020, New Zealand's Minister for Tourism announced funding for our 31 RTOs to engage in a destination management planning process that takes a regenerative approach. So Kitty was a perfect person to start with for this episode, and we're so grateful that she was willing to join us on the podcast because she's really been overseeing this entire process as a director of destination management at Regional Tourism New Zealand. Kitty has a huge amount of experience in tourism and economic development sectors across New Zealand. Um, she's been involved in regional marketing and development in Northland and also in national development roles such as with Tourism New Zealand in developing the 100% pure New Zealand brand promise. Kitty took a lead in re-establishing the new regional tourism organisation for my region, Hamilton Waikato. She was also uh, a lead on our Ministry for Business, Innovation and Employment's Destination Management Guidelines. So we started off by asking Kitty to give us a bit of an overview of what is the process that the regions have been asked to go through and how have they been responding to that. So over the last two and a half years, our regional tourism organisations, of which there's 31 across New Zealand, have been undertaking a destination management planning process. This has come about as a result of a couple of things. Firstly, in 2019, the New Zealand Aotearoa Government Tourism Strategy identified uh, destination management as a key focus to address some of the issues that we were starting to see through 10 years of growth of tourism within New Zealand. 
They also developed a set of destination management guidelines to provide a framework to guide regions um, in their destination management approach. And then as a result of COVID and the impact of COVID on New Zealand's tourism sector, funding was then made available for regions to further progress uh, their destination management planning. So funding has been provided and what that's enabled is all 31 regions to work alongside their communities and their broader stakeholders to discuss you know, what they would like from tourism and how they would like tourism to develop um, and grow in the future. So with the destination management planning that's going on, there's three key areas that the regions are looking at. So when we talk about destination management across New Zealand, we're talking about, you know, the demand aspect of the destination. So that's where the destination marketing activity comes into play. The second part is around the supply side. So the actual visitor experience within the regions. So that includes the activities, the attractions, you know, the asset base as such, the amenities and services, and also the infrastructure. So it's really looking at what is the offer or the proposition within the destination. The third element there of this holistic approach then looks at how the destination is managed from a resource. So from a policy planning regulation framework, it also looks at, so what is the environment that's created that supports the destination to um, operate effectively and how are the resources deployed across the destination in terms of the institutional structures and the investment that flows in. So the destination management approach across New Zealand's regions is taking a much more holistic approach across both, as I've described, demand and supply, but also looking at the the environment um, that supports and enables that destination uh, to be successful. So is this holistic approach different than what has happened previously? Uh, Very much so. So regions have developed strategies as, you know, as they do over many, many years, and it's often been about regions or the tourism industry developing a strategy for its industry. And with this destination management approach, what this requires is a much more expansive view to look at the system of the destination and how it operates. But more importantly, it also has to take into account all the um, perspectives of the destination from a much wider um, stakeholder group. So this now involves us really to start thinking much more about our communities and the benefits that tourism brings to our communities, but also thinking about what are some of the burdens that visitors also create within a community context. So with this destination management approach, what's happened here with the RTOs receiving funding to facilitate a plan, they're having to speak to a much broader group of stakeholders um, through this process to really tease out what the communities liked previously prior to COVID, but what they'd like to see happen in the future. So it's very much a community bottom-up approach so that communities have a much um, stronger role in helping to define um, what they want. Yeah, it's a it's quite a different um, process, isn't it? And I know that the, the minister has asked specifically for these plans to be regenerative destination management plans. How has that shaped the way that this process is unfolding, do you think? 
So, yes, the Minister has asked um, that we look to move to a more regenerative tourism industry. This is an interesting situation or an um, context for our RTOs and our regions to to get their heads around. I suppose a lot have been asking, you know, what does regenerative tourism look like? What does it mean to us? And in a practical sense, what do we actually need to do to actually bring um, adhere to regenerative principles, but also bring that to life in terms of the visitor experience and what we're offering across our regions, what our businesses are offering, and what that means from the visitor's perspective in terms of helping to support a regenerative tourism um, industry across New Zealand. So the RTOs as part of the destination management planning have been grappling with this. Sustainability, the concept has been around for quite some time and there's some excellent work that has taken place across the industry, particularly with um, tourism industry Aotearoa with the sustainable tourism commitment. And a number of regions and tourism operators across New Zealand have been involved um, with that programme. And that is even deepening and growing as a result of the destination management planning that's taking place. So we've seen a lot more regions getting alongside their operators and helping to support them working with TIA around the sustainability tourism commitment. When we start to think more about regenerative tourism, the question is, is how is that different um, from sustainable tourism? And I think regions in the industry are exploring what that means. And these these people are talking out there around regenerative tourism about making things better or leaving places better than what they were previously. And that's very much is the case. But I think it also, as an industry, we tend to default when we think about regenerative tourism at this point in time into initiatives that might be directly related to the environment as such. So what do we need to do to minimise our impact on the environment or leave the environment in a better state than it was previously? So that's great and we are seeing a number of different environmental initiatives that are moving into that space of creating regenerative outcomes. But regenerative tourism is just more than environmental um, initiatives. And as an industry, we're exploring what that might mean more from a community if we look at the four well-beings or the five capitals as such. What are regenerative outcomes that we might seek to achieve through tourism around those well-beings or those capitals. So it's really starting to extend it beyond just environmental initiatives. And I feel as an industry, um, we will continue to evolve and our understanding um, and our operations will mature over time as we start to understand these concepts more deeply and as we each look to see what we can do across the five capitals or the four well-beings as such. So it's a, like you say, the regions are, are grappling with this and, and it's a complex concept, this regenerative tourism and people are trying to, all the regions are sort of trying to unpick it in real time as they develop these plans and work alongside the operators, et cetera. And I'd love to hear you speak to some of the, the challenges that you're seeing, uh, the regions are facing and, and it'll be interesting to know whether those are similar across the whole motu, across the whole country or whether those are, are really specific to particular places as well. As we spoke about earlier, 
With the destination management approach, obviously the government recognised the value of how to better manage our destinations through the government tourism strategy. The guidelines were then produced. And at that point in time, the government had a focus on four or five regions where we're really starting to see some negative impact on both community and environment and the social licence within some communities was being challenged. So in 2019, the focus was on a small number of regions and there was some really intensive destination management planning that was taking place. As I said, with COVID hitting and the government providing financial support for all regions to look at a destination management approach. Prior to that, we had about five regions who had previously done destination management plans, but this provided an opportunity for all 31 regions to um, go about a destination management planning process. This has been quite challenging for the RTOs within the leadership role or the coordinating role that they have within their regions because prior to COVID, most regional tourism organisations in New Zealand were solely focused on destination marketing. So creating demand for their destinations and very few were deliberately focused in that broader um, scope, thinking about the visitor experience, the supply, and thinking about the uh, policy strategy and regulatory frameworks that contribute to the uh, function of the destination. So what happened here is that RTOs were actually asked to take on a much more broader scope than what they were traditionally um, involved with. And so this created some challenges for the RTOs, challenges in terms of requiring potentially a different skill set as well to what they would have in a marketing, beyond a marketing sense. Again, as I said, working more broadly with um, wider stakeholders and community. Also working more with mana whenua, with iwi and engaging more with iwi, which is a critical component of working effectively within our destinations and having strong partnerships with, with multiple stakeholders. The other thing too that was challenging for RTOs at the time is that we were still in the height of COVID. So a destination management planning approach requires extensive consultation with a much broader group of stakeholders and this was difficult to do. And also when you start to think about defining a community, it's challenging for some places because there's layers and layers of interest groups. So how do you define community? And if I use an example like the Waikato as an, um, as an example there, if we think about the number of local government partners in the Waikato, there's eight local government, um, local councils, there's a number of iwi as well. And then there's a number of kind of geographical communities of interest right across the Waikato, as well as other interest groups that would, that, um, would have an interest in, in tourism and how it happens within their place. So as you can appreciate within that regional context, it's quite complex. There's a large number of people that need to be brought into the conversation and that takes time especially if you want to engage with your stakeholders in a much more genuine sense. And of course, a number of these stakeholders were also dealing with COVID and had a 
different competing um, priorities as well. So engaging with some of these stakeholders was quite difficult and therefore it has taken um, some time for the RTOs to able to do that. So here we are now two years after the support for destination management planning has um, was first commenced and we have 15 of the 31 RTOs with completed plans. So that gives you a sense of how many, how long this has taken. At the end of the year, we'll have all but one region having completed its plan. Yeah, thanks for speaking so honestly about that, because I think that's really important for people to hear, um, that if we're looking to really change the system, which is what the request is, to move in, into a more regenerative way of operating, it it's really challenging. There's a lot of different uh, facets and aspects, and it also speaks to the the uniqueness of place, right? That every region is very different. And, and you also said, Kitty, that this is an evolving process. And I think that's something that, uh, regenerative, um, lens acknowledges and, uh, you know, that, that we have to see think we have to see these as evolving and ongoing. One question I had in regards to that, it's great that we've had the government support at a national level to initiate this process, but because regeneration requires that it is constantly evolving, that these plans are constantly evolving because we know that the future will remain uncertain, things will continue to change, is there continued government support for this, for the for the regions to continue the evolution of these plans and implementing these plans? Yeah, thanks, Stu. There's a couple of things in here, in there. Um, maybe if I just start and say, absolutely, you're dead right. Every region is different. And therefore, the destination management plans across the network are also very different because they reflect the context of their region and their people and their place. And of course, depending on that context and the nature of the visitor experience within that destination, Communities are often at different starting points. The information that they bring or the knowledge that they bring about the sector to the table to start these conversations does vary, most definitely, depending on how evident or how connected communities are into the tourism sector in the first instance. So for some regions, it has required really, you know, building that knowledge within the community um, from the grassroots, but also listening intently to the community in terms of what is it that they they want from visitors and what we found through these conversations with communities is that communities absolutely see value in welcoming visitors into their place their rohi but they want those visitors to behave in a certain way and create certain benefits so this has been an excellent opportunity to understand and have the discussions um, with communities around the benefits that visitors bring but also be a little bit more honest about what are some of the burdens that visitors also can create within a place. And how do we attract more visitors? Because we do have regions across New Zealand who would like to see more visitors because of the vibrancy and the prosperity that visitors bring. And of course, we know we have a few regions in New Zealand where we had higher volumes of visitors that were really creating some issues. And with international borders being closed, that has been more evident without international visitors. But of course, those communities want those visitors back too. They just want tourism to be much more sustainable, or as we talk about now, much more regenerative. And they want to make sure that there is the right support in place to welcome those visitors 
and host our manuhiru appropriately, but also that we have the core infrastructure to be able to support those visitors and make sure that we're offering a quality experience for our visitors. But we're also minimising as much impact on the environment or managing that in a much more sustainable, regenerative way. So every community is different and the plans are therefore um, different as well. In terms of ongoing, you're absolutely right. And I always talk about a destination management approach because it's ongoing and it's absolutely a long-term view here. But as we move forward and things open up, I think that the community is very much interested in what happens next. Destination management plans have been developed over the last two years, as we've spoken about. But how can we ensure that we can actually deliver on those communities' expectations? How do we make sure that we can actually implement the key priorities within this plan? Um, and also recognising that this is a long-term view and the plan captures a moment in time, but this is actually how we approach our visitor economy um, much more broadly, and it's an ongoing process. So for me, it's about making sure that that engagement is, is genuine, it is deep, um, there's partnerships across multiple stakeholders. We all have a role to play in this as well. And a lot of the things in the destination management plans which have been identified by our communities require investment. And some of that investment is significant. Some of that investment is to actually enhance the visitor experience within a destination so that they can attract more visitors and to bring those sustainability stories to life as well. Some of the investment is also around core infrastructure because previously you could see the impact of visitors and there wasn't necessarily the right infrastructure or the resilience of infrastructure that infrastructure provides in some places. So some of these projects require significant investment and the question is how do, how do we find ways of investing to realise um, the aspirations of these communities and to actually invest in the right places so that we do protect our environment. We do um, adhere to our community's wishes, but we also make sure that we're providing an excellent visitor experience. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, genuine, meaningful community engagement also requires investment because it is a, it's a time commitment and it requires resources as well. So... Let's hope that uh, there's recognition of that and that that can be funded as well. Yeah, and look, the RTOs have played in, you know, a facilitation role here. Um, they're not solely responsible for the delivery of a destination management plan. It takes all actors in the system to understand their role and what responsibilities they may have to actually making sure that a destination management approach and sustainable regenerative outcomes are achieved. So we're all in this together. The role that the RTOs play is they're the glue that helps to bring all of those parties together. They also have the ability to look across the whole system as well. Stakeholders... Um, have strengths in certain areas. They have remits which require them to focus in on certain areas. And that's great. So it's a bit like an orchestra. Everybody's playing their part. And I talk about the RTOs have been the conductor of the orchestra, right? Because they can look right across the system and make sure 
that everything is working in a cohesive, coordinated manner, right? And also work with all of those different actors in the system to help support them in the role that they play in making that destination work more efficiently and effectively. You know, the, the challenge we have is that the RTOs have received a significant level of investment from the government during the last, you know, as part of the recovery package here to undertake destination management planning or for those regions that already had plans, implementation. Part of that funding they are also able to use for product development and capability support for their operators, which was critical during the height of COVID because RTOs brought their tourism operators together. They provided support to the operators at the height of the crisis and they linked the operators into the different support mechanisms that were available for them at the time as well. They also worked alongside the operators in that product development space to think, help operators to think about what they might need to do within their businesses. As we start to evolve our visitor offerings to meet the needs of you know, the future travellers, but also making sure that, you know, that we're grounded in, in our community as well. So the saying is, you know, how can tourism benefit our communities as we move forward, as opposed to our community serving visitors as such. So, so yeah, so RTOs have played an absolutely critical role there and they've had their additional resources to enable them to do that. The government funding comes to an end at the end of this year. And the question now remains, you know, will the RTO still be able to facilitate a destination management approach and support their industry and communities um, with this kūpapa um, and also help to continue to facilitate the implementation of the plans? And it will be challenging without that additional resource um, that they have had. I do feel confident that... Over the last two years, the RTOs have absolutely done a fantastic job, in my opinion, under very challenging and trying circumstances. They have stepped up and embraced the opportunity and provided amazing support um, within their regions. We're running a professional development program for them um, this year as well called Tionga Mai. And this is about providing knowledge information, tools and resources to assist them in this broader kaupapa. Um, and hopefully this will give them the confidence that they need to continue to fulfil um, a broader scope and not revert solely back to the destination marketing activity, which was their focus prior to COVID. So yeah, it, it remain it does remain to be seen. I think there is a little bit of an expectation out there that a lot of the responsibility around destination management is the remit of local government, and local government is a key partner. They're an enabler. They create the environment for tourism to operate in, as we know, and, and they're also tourism operators. They often um, operate the museums, the galleries, um, you know, the, the regional events or the local events as such, you know, and often the, they're actually operators of, of tourism attractions as well. So they're very much a core part of the tourism industry as such, um, providing visitor experiences, but also, also um, 
creating the the environment for our sector that, to operate in from a policy and planning and regulatory um, standpoint. So they do have a role in helping to deliver the destination management um, aspirations of their communities. But again, as I said, they're not the sole um, stakeholder here. And we need to share this responsibility as well. Local governments also provide funding to regional tourism organisations and eyesights. And local government budgets are also quite challenged right now. And they have a lot of things that they're dealing with at this point in time too. So I think that we've got to find a solution in terms of how we can provide investment to help deliver on the destination management work um, at that local level, at the regional level, and potentially at, the, at a macro level from a national perspective too, where we have areas within the system that would benefit um, from a, a national investment um, for a whole range of different reasons. That's great, Kitty, because it's really, really important conversation to be having about this funding because, like you say, the regions have put in so much so much work into these plans and I think there's also a lot of potential in the fact that they've spent all of this time forming the relationships and thinking on that systems level within their places and and as you put it, conducting the orchestra of, you know, all of all these different stakeholders. And I think acknowledging that and continuing to support that is going to be so important if we want to um, really see the results from these amazing plans. Yeah, well, they have developed... You know they have developed really strong relationships, and they want to they want to retain those relationships, right? Absolutely. You know, we're a people industry, without a doubt. So they, but the the reality is, is they need to have the capacity within their organisations to to retain and strengthen and work collaboratively with a much broader state group of stakeholders, particularly mana whenua. Particularly, and of course, from a mana whenua perspective, um, it's intergenerational view as well. And relationships come first, people come first. And so the RTOs um, want to continue to deepen their relationships with mana whenua. Um, and that will take time and it takes commitment. Um, but again, coming back, it also requires capacity to stay engaged um, and to help to inform and lead conversations um, as is required. I've always talked about, you know, the funding, a number of RTOs have taken on additional staff to help facilitate the destination management planning work but also to help facilitate what they've been doing in the capability and product development and also in the marketing space um, which has been really good ideally they'd like to retain that capacity to retain the momentum and a lot of the investment that we've seen over the last two years or so it will take time to see the real value of that investment or the return on that investment, because a lot of the things that we're talking about from a destination management perspective take time to come to fruition. And when I think about projects that I started working on when I was working up in Northland, some of those projects have only just come to fruition close to 20 years later. This is a whole range of reasons, right, that, um, that these projects may stall Circumstances change, stakeholders change, 
And so, yeah, it's a long game that we're in here. And so having that that commitment and the resources to honour that commitment, 10, 20, or from a mana whenua perspective, intergenerationally, will be really um, key to the success of the work that's taken place over the last two and a half years. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I think having the investment and the capacity, like you say, to continue those relationships without that, without a relational approach, it's not regenerative. Without engaging the community, it's not regenerative. So we can stick any label on it. We can say it's regenerative. Um, but without that investment and, and that relational approach, you know, we're, we're not following through on what we say we're doing. So. Let's hope, let's hope that um, there will be that commitment and there will be that support to continue this work to truly evolve and, and to be, become truly a regenerative destination. Mm. I talk about empowering communities and, you know, through this process, um, you know, the engagement has been excellent and we created quite a lot of expectation. Now we need to empower our communities to actually, to bring that, that aspiration to fruition as such. Um, and so there's a bit of discussion that's just taken place in the last few days around how will this work be funded? And as we know, there's an international visitor levy, which is collected and prior to COVID um, was distributed through con- to conservation projects as well as to support some challenges that were in the tourism system which is good to have that um, distribution of resource into into areas uh, which have need. The challenge we have is at that real local level is to, you know, enabling again comes to, to, in my mind, back to equity in the system. How does everybody get to the opportunity to help shape and deliver on their aspirations as a community, right? And I think that that's why we need to continue these conversations around what are your options around sustainable funding mechanisms at place um, that will help to, to realise this this kaupapa. For us, from, from a regenerative perspective, um, regeneration is about working with potential and so we'd love to see, to hear what your seeing in terms of potential that's coming out of these plans. I think that the opportunity in the face of um, challenge with COVID, this has also presented an opportunity for us, for the tourism industry and particularly our our regional um, tourism, our regional destinations and our regional tourism network. I see huge potential here in the wonderful work that has taken place. I also think that New Zealand has a fantastic opportunity because there's things we can do as a small country here that are very difficult to do in other parts of the world. All of New Zealand has participated in a destination management planning process over the last two years. I'm not sure there's other parts in in the world where the whole country has turned its mind to um, this type of kūpapa, a destination management approach, and really collectively is focusing in on more sustainable or more regenerative tourism outcomes as a nation 
So I think that New Zealand is in a very exciting place right now. And the potential is coming through hugely in each of the plans. Um, and I think the future is really bright. And I'm confident that we will see change. Change is already taking place, without a doubt. And I think as a industry and as a country, from a tourism perspective, we'll be better served for it. So hopefully this this interview with Kitty has, has given you a really great overview of the process that's been going on across New Zealand and where we feel really lucky to have had her um, to join us and to share some of her thoughts because this work is very much ongoing and so this is sort of happening in real time. So uh, we're very, very privileged to be able to sort of help to tell that story on the, here on the podcast. For the second part of this episode, you're going to hear from Susan Hodge McKenzie, who is an associate professor at the Department of Tourism in the University of Otago School of Business. Her researchers focus on regenerative tourism, nature-based adventure, and psychological well-being. Um, she's got a background as an adventure guide, both here in Aotearoa as well as in the US and Chile, and she's passionate about research that can be relevant for both private tourism organisations, academia, and in the public sphere as well. Uh, she's got a background in sports psychology, risk management for adventure tourism, uh, and she also sits on advisory boards for Tourism Central Otago and the Adventure Tourism Research Association. So Susan's been studying this process of the destination management planning uh, in real time and speaking with with the regions as they go through this work about how are they engaging with their communities in order to create destination management plans? If and if so, how are they engaging with a regenerative approach as they go about that? And also uh, speaking to the regions about how they're measuring uh, the success of these plans and what kinds of indicators they're using to, so, to sort of track a regenerative approach. I should say that I've got a bit of an insider knowledge of this research project because I was lucky enough to work with Susan uh, on some of the research in 2021. So it was really great to reconnect with her and to hear about how the research has progressed and and what she's continued to find uh, throughout the process. So we started off by asking her to give us an overview of the research and what she's hoping it will contribute. Thanks, Josie, and, and thank you for having me, Josie and Debbie, on the podcast. Um, I'm an avid listener, so it's exciting to be invited to participate. Um, so the project that I've been working on um, is looking at the process that destinations across Aotearoa and New Zealand are undergoing um, to develop these new destination management plans. Um, so I became very interested in in this um, as a longtime Queenstown resident and seeing changes in the community there pre-COVID um, and then some of the <clears throat> developments that have happened in Aotearoa during COVID. 
And then this new um, kind of mandate and funding that had come along uh, from the New Zealand government to enable destinations to do things differently. Um, so I became really interested in that um, and also in the language of regenerative tourism because it really aligned with a lot of my research areas and interest in well-being, um, community well-beings and individual well-being. So that's kind of the background to this. So I wanted to study how this was actually going to happen, what it was, and what were some of the outcomes and indicators. So in a nutshell, the project has focused on um, visiting with as many uh, regional tourism organizations or RTOs as we can around the country and speaking with them about how they are going about developing these, um, I'll use the term regenerative destination plans, but not every destination uses that terminology. Um, that's come from the minister. So how are they developing these destination management plans? What does the term regenerative actually mean to them, if anything? That's also part of it. What does that mean? How do they operationalize in that? And then what are these plans when they're completed? Some of them are in process, some are completed. What do they look like? What do they include? And particularly, what sort of indicators of community well-being in particular are being used so that we know if we're on the right track? So that's the, the project in a nutshell. And the hope is that will give us an idea of what's the best way to develop these and do them so that people can share and learn from each other. It's a very succinct uh, summary of a very complex project that's impressive. Just to give people a little bit of context, could you um, – just talk a little bit to what that funding is that you're referring to in terms of that, that funding that's come through. Sure. Um, so the New Zealand government has released a few rounds of, of funding that's designed to support um, tourism to build back differently. So they recognise the need to enable destinations um, to start to do things differently. They recognise that there are issues with the way tourism is happening across the country, particularly in certain key destinations. Um, and so part of their plan to um, get tourism back on its feet, but in a different way and to do things differently and make Aotearoa really a leader in this regenerative tourism movement is they've provided funding across the country. Um, I think almost every RTO, I'd say, has uh, funding to create these destination management plans. And the significance of that is that many of these organizations were previously mainly focused on marketing. So they were trying to drive demand, and often that was in the form of more visitors to a destination, not always. Um, but how can we drive get more people here. And this, the, the purpose of this is to enable a shift so that people can focus not so much on just driving as many people as possible um, to a destination, but how can we focus on putting the community and their needs and aspirations um, at the center of what tourism is focused on. So to, the shift is really looking from the demand side of how do we become attractive to visitors and get them here to the the supply side or the community side and focusing on how can tourism support community well-being and quality of life. And it's unique because it's also all these destinations across the country. So there's 31 regional organizations. You know, they're all on this journey together, more or less. Some had done it pre-COVID or, you know, some are done now, but pretty much everyone going on this journey together. So pretty interesting. 
And pretty exciting time for us in New Zealand, and and many would say that's quite a progressive um, mandate to come down or directive from the government. I love that you're researching this whole process and we get to really see it from your perspective as someone who's almost an outsider to the the workings of the regions and and the government. Um, What's been the response from the regions to this directive to create destination management plans that are regenerative? Um. I'd say mixed, as with any, you know, if you put 31 people in a room and told them to do something, (laughs) they would all have different um, perspectives and approaches, and it's no different um, with these organizations. But overall, I'd say, you know, the fact that, one, it's funded and supported by the government has, you know, broad, broad appeal and and support. Um, That's fantastic, you know, um, because you you wouldn't be able to do it without that support. So I'd say that's been very much supported you know, supported by all the destinations, the way that they have chosen to approach that and implement it has varied significantly, Um, you know, and the term regenerative also I found can be somewhat divisive at times. Um, So I'd say on the whole, you know, I haven't really talked to a region that doesn't want their communities to have good quality of life or benefit from tourism, right? I mean, they all want that, but how that's, and the degree to which different regions have are actually shifting their focus because there are still some regions that are very much focused on that visitor demand experience marketing and, and actually think that should be the domain. There are some RTOs that think, you know, that should be our primary domain because we're not a council. We can't control, you know, statutory regulations. So why should we be trying to do destination management, which is essentially about community quality of life. But then you've got other destinations that are very much on, on board with the regenerative tourism concepts and approach and really want to, are working with councils or with other RTOs even um, in integration to make sure that they can bring that to life and that tourism is a critical part of that. So I'd say that people are definitely supportive of, of doing it. Um, I think that the, the one challenge is, it's the first time that many of these individuals or organizations have done something like this. There's, there's a guidance document, but it's pretty much left to each um, organization to figure out how they can do that best for them, which is, which is great in some ways, um, but also challenges because they're figuring out as they go along. So it's been a real journey and a major challenge to do it, particularly for destinations who are genuinely trying to engage in a regenerative approach um, which isn't a quick, simple, easy process. So so can you speak to some of the challenges? You know, you've already touched on that, but um, the role of the RTO is one challenge, right, that they've seen themselves as, as marketing entities primarily until this point. What are some of the other challenges that you're seeing regions face? Mm, yeah, I mean, great, great question. So um, aside from just the language of regenerative tourism and trying to figure out what that actually means in practice um, or what that means to communities, that I mean, even just the, the language is, is one challenge for sure uh, because it's an evolving concept. Um, but there is a range of challenges in terms of community engagement or EWE partnership um, that comes to mind first. You know, regions who have a strong partnership with EWE and a, a long history of that um, have found it, I think, much easier to engage in that process, whereas regions who haven't um, have maybe struggled with that because, as we know, um, consultation right now for many EWEs is overwhelming across a range of areas. 
Um, so there's a lot of kind of consultation fatigue out there in, in communities, not just iwi, but um, all communities across Aotearoa. Um, so the process of how do we actually access and engage with our communities because every region is, you know, and not homogenous. So, so that's a big challenge. What's the best way to actually speak to all these people in our communities and find what their shared vision is? That's that's a very much a core challenge of doing these plans. And then there's those other challenges that are more around, say, the structure. So some RTOs um, are funded strictly by, say, like, tourism operators or you know um, a membership organization and so their mandate is is to their members whereas other ones are situated more in a council so they have a very different structure and you know kind of mandate um there's all sorts of some are in economic development agencies um so there is very different structures for these right so which is going to dictate how they are able to do what they're doing and who they're accountable for um, also, how do you kind of coordinate a lot of these plans across regions, right? Because the boundaries of an RTO aren't necessarily always aligned naturally with all the considerations that we might need to make. Or you've got two RTOs that are sitting next to each other or, you know, in a region. How do you make sure that these plans are aligned? Because, you know, tourism across the country um, to be regenerative, it will all have to work as a cohesive whole in some way. Right, they can be unique in place space as they should be, but ultimately there needs to be some higher level leadership or coordination. And I think that's what a lot of the RTOs would like to see more of. That um, you know, that a little bit of a stronger uh, leadership function to ensure that these are coordinated, and as well that there's mechanisms to make sure they get implemented, because they don't necessarily have a lot of power to do that. Um, the funding models also is a, a key challenge. Um, has come up recently in, in in the course I was attending with RTOs. So, you know, there's been so much time and effort. The RTOs have worked incredibly hard. I, you know, haven't met with one person who's been involved with these plans that has not related how hard they've worked on them um, with the community engagement processes and, and in the writing of them and how challenging that that is. So there's a ton of time and effort that has gone into these um, worked really hard, but um, it, they they require support beyond just creating a written document. They require support to actually implement this over time, and even that needs to be ongoing. So where is the sustainable funding to allow destinations who have the best of intentions to actually implement what, they, what their community wants? Um, and then another, I'll maybe just choose one last challenge. <laughs> there are many bits is the indicator challenge. So the data challenge, um, this, this one is near and dear to my heart as an academic, but also seeing the lack of um, maybe support for different for data that can be used by these regions, particularly in the community wellbeing space. Um, there are still challenges in terms of other indicators, maybe environmental or economic, um, but I think sociocultural and the well-being and psychological well-being, those sorts of indicators that are a little bit trickier and more subjective, you know, there's not kind of one sort of, um, I suppose, uniform indicator that's been suggested or adopted. I see this as one of the gaps. Um, how do we know if we're going in the right direction? Yeah. I, yeah, thanks for speaking to all those challenges because I think it gives a really um, a really clear picture of how difficult this work is. Like that's 
that's a number of challenges and I and I know that those aren't those aren't all of them. Um, this work has been has been a huge shift for so many of the regions in terms of the way that they work and even what they're responsible for. So um, yeah, it's it's good to sort of um, have that picture. Um, but we want to talk a bit more about the indicators piece because I know this is a big part of the research that you're doing and and it's really interesting in the context of this regenerative tourism model because uh, re- regeneration is about life and, um, you know, aliveness and, and these are things that are really difficult to measure, right? Um, so can you talk to us a little bit more about what you're, what you're looking into in terms of the indicators that could be used or, or might be uh, appropriate in a regenerative model? Um, are there sort of some alternative type indicators that are emerging from from the process that the regions are going through? Yeah, um, this has been a tricky one for me. It's something that going into the research, I thought I'll just be asking everyone what they're using and I'll collect these and I'll have a look over them and see what I think and we'll, we'll do some <laughs> review from overseas and there we go. Um, but no, it, there's a reason that there, <laughs> that there isn't a widely accepted indicators because it is not that easy. Um, one, because different cultures and regions have different ways of conceptualizing well-being, for instance, um, and that's both within Aotearoa and globally. Um, but also, again, that support to collect data ongoing and over time and the ability to compare it um, across regions or over time. And there's just not the support or the frameworks to do that. So some of the more regional measures that we've seen that are promising are like the Queenstown Quality of Life Survey has been ongoing, qualitative and quantitative data, Canterbury Wellbeing Index, um, now that Waikato has a vital signs indicator, uh, as does Western Bay Plenty, uh, Wellington region has a genuine progress indicator. So there are these kind of examples of, um, and, and there's more than that as well. Um, I know that Gisborne has developed um, her own kind of framework um, in which everything needs to be aligned to um, those particular um, key concepts in the model that they've established are important for their community. So there are, you know, people are making efforts to make sure that there are these localized regional measures of how people are doing in their community. Now, they're not always strictly related to tourism. Some of them are a bit broader. Um, but I think a lot of regions where it's a key industry, like in Queenstown, I know that they specifically want to understand how tourism in particular impacts quality of life. So I think that's that's one great start and one great approach. All I would say is that there's no perfect indicator, but ha- being able to actually use it over time is probably more important than having the most perfect one because if you're not able to sustain it, then it doesn't really allow you to look at what's happening over time, which is key for the regenerative approach. Um, there's also um, in the academic literature things like the International Wellbeing Index, et cetera, or the Personal Wellbeing Index, where um, you know they're trying to look at uh, community well-being as well as individual satisfaction where they live. So those are quite promising um, from the academic literature, but again, it's a matter of taking them, using them, implementing them over time. Um, um, one, I, I got very excited when the New Zealand government brought in um, the new kind of um, treasury um, for capitals. And 
looking at well-being in different ways. And I thought, oh, this is great. You know, then every region will be able to look at those key social and community well-being indicators, even though they're not tourism specific, and do some comparison across region and over time. But it hasn't quite worked out. I don't think that any regions have been able to access that for that purpose. Um, and maybe an issue of granularity, not being able to get granular data um, for regions, for example. But I think something collected by the national government is ideal because then the regions don't have to try and fund that over time themselves and it can be compared. Um, I also know that there's indicators Aotearoa um, New Zealand is being developed by StatsNZ. Um, and so they're, they've identified a range of indicators beyond um, GDP um, that they want to look at, but they haven't actually developed all the indicators for that. So they've had this list of things they want to measure, but not all of them are being done just yet. Yeah, so I guess the conclusion that I've come to with this is that, number one, I don't think particularly with community well-being um, that just having quantitative or numbers essentially to to measure that over time is enough. Um, I think you can use that in conjunction, but I think particularly in that area, you really need qualitative research. And I also think that you need, I mean, I'm, I'm starting to think I was chatting with someone about maybe doing as we do with Keystone Species, having Keystone community groups or members that we check in with regularly and have regular meetings with and design purpose as a way of doing a check-in on the health of the system. Um, you know, trying to draw on different approaches, um, particularly indigenous approaches to understanding the well-being and health of an environment or a community. Um, I'm getting more and more interested and open to that because I just have not been able to find, you know, that that perfect measurement that I think, oh, this could be used by all of our regions. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because, yeah, I guess what I was trying to say before is like, there's people in, in this regenerative movement who say you can't measure it, you know, like it's not possible because it's that's not the nature of of regeneration. But at the same time, um, when you think about it from a, a RTO perspective, they need some kind of indicators to show that they're 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 on the right track, right? And and even just for their funding requirements and things like that. So on a practical level you do need some way of of um of tracking how you're doing. And I think this overlap between trying to bring in regenerative plans and trying to figure out how to get the funding and sustainable funding. I think those two things are, are overlapping in this indicator space. And yeah, I think what you're talking about in terms of these sort of alternative ways of assessing, like how you said, the health of the system, because that's really what it's about. Eh? It's not, it's not about a one particular part of that system. It's about the system as a whole and how we kind of, um, take its pulse in some way yeah yeah and that's really you know why I've shifted to I try to avoid the term measurement when I'm talking about regenerative tourism and the indicator is kind of the best term I've come up with <laughs> to use for myself because you know it's very reductionist to 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 talk about measuring community well-being or and you can you can you can you know take stats and obviously in the society and um, that we live in and, and the way that funding is allocated and accountability, of course, you, you know, the emphasis is on numbers and, and trends and quantitative measurements, but I think meaningfully to understand if uh, a destination is ultimately 
you know, going down the regenerative path, then much more meaning is going to come from those conversations and constant connection with key people in your community, um, if you want to call them keystone <laughs> community members or whatever it is. And I think also that's where some regional tourism organizations that are, say, housed within a council, um, for example, are maybe better placed or smaller because they are already doing that as part of their their business, right? That that can on that community yeah. engagement office or whatever should be on the pulse and doing that. And in small communities, you know, everyone kind of is able to take that pulse. So that's where the structure of RTOs can potentially have a role in that. And also I think that when we're, you know, say at a government level assessing and, and saying, oh, have you delivered or are you making progress? Being a little bit more open-minded about if you're if you're putting down a mandate for a regenerative plan, then also being open to how that gets evaluated and assessed in some of the reporting and outcomes for that over time. You know, we talk about the fact you can't just pick something off the shelf that's one set of indicators or, you know, if that's going to be applicable to every everywhere or every RTO going through this because it's so unique to each each region and each place. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm increasingly in support for that community pillar of, like, regular um, meetings of key, key people in the community um, coming together specifically to talk about you know, how are we doing in terms of regenerative tourism and, and that being a really core part of that. I I kind of feel like that's probably the best, most effective. And it also supports a regenerative approach because it's ongoing engagement with community, which is right. totally yep. so yeah. it's the measurement yeah. or the indicators need to be part of that process and support that. And that's interesting actually, that's what I saw with some of the plans is I felt like the process itself was maybe just as or more important than what the plan looks like. Just that process Mm. of deep engagement with communities and reaching out and then being able to have their say and bringing people together. You know, if nothing else, I feel that that's what a lot of these planning processes have done and that's where the value has been. Nice. So so that leads into hope, really. Um, You've been asking the regions about hope. Are you hopeful for a regenerative tourism future for Aotearoa? I'm very hopeful. I'm an optimist. So (laughs) (laughs) often despite evidence to the contrary, but um, yes, now I'm always hopeful um, and I'm always excited to hear about new ideas and new ways of doing things. And so there is the the kind of cynic in me or the pragmatist that says, well, how is this going to get done? There are so many regions to coordinate and, you know, the funding looks like it's not going to be ongoing. So, you know, how can we actually do this? Are we just going to return to where we were? And I think it won't be either or nothing ever is. So I think there will be a bit of backslide towards the traditional models. But I think, as I mentioned, that this whole process of doing this um, has raised a huge, you know, raised the consciousness across Aotearoa of regenerative approaches, whether or not people use that term or not. I still think most destinations are kind of heading that direction in some way or another because they're putting community at the center. So raising that awareness amongst these regional tourism organizations, I think has been key. And so I think once you change people's mindset and consciousness, they're going to inevitably change the way they make their day-to-day decisions and look at things in small ways. So even if we think, Oh, we, how do we do this? I think that shift in mindset, um, that has happened at least at the destination level is key. And then on the other side, the community level, because communities um, 
not just through the engagement processes, but certainly that's part of it. But they they are aware of this dialogue about how, you know, changing how we do things. You know, committees are informed and they're also starting to demand different things and want different things um, about all different industries in their communities, not just tourism. So I think, you know, throughout the pandemic, there has been a huge mindset shift amongst most organizations and individuals about why are we doing what we're doing? What's our key purpose in this? And what do we really want? So yes, I think there'll be some, you know, business as usual things happening, but I'm optimistic and hopeful because I think that we also have changed our mindsets a lot at an individual and collective level. What a privilege to have a conversation with both Kitty and Susan about the work that all of the regional tourism organizations have been involved in. I think initially, Josie, I just want to share that I feel really, um, really proud to be sharing this story and this episode. You know, COVID shut our borders for two years and it has been an incredibly challenging time for everyone in tourism in New Zealand. Uh, and yet it has been an opportunity. And I think in the context of, what's been going on in the world and through this this challenging time, our regional tourism organizations have really stepped up to take on a new challenge that, that they had not been involved in doing, you know, new work that they'd not been involved in doing in the past. They were traditionally uh, destination marketing organizations, as we heard from both Kitty and Susan. And I just know that they've all done so much work and, and I I think it's worth a shout out to them all. Yeah, it's been a, a big um, challenge across the regions and I think both Kitty and Susan spoke to some of those challenges. But I think, yeah, it's really good to acknowledge like how progressive some of this work has been. Uh, and it'll be interesting to hear from, from some of our international listeners uh, their reflections on this episode and the next one as well uh, when we speak to a couple of the regions because I know Back in 2021, when we spoke to Chris and Dunn from Bay of Plenty about the destination management uh, work that they've done there, that was of a real interest to to a lot of our international listeners who are involved at a destination level in tourism. And so I think it's really it's really awesome to be able to continue to share these stories of what's happening in New Zealand and to kind of reflect on on what we're learning, um, so that that can be a part of the international conversation as well. Um, so yeah, really acknowledging that that these regions are, are not only uh, showing leadership in New Zealand but internationally as well. And I was reflecting on on the fact that a regenerative approach to working is really asks us to step into new roles and and to kind of step into a new way of thinking and and being, and that in lots of cases the RTOs have really have really done that in this process they've they've stepped up into into a new role and a new way of working which is incredibly difficult and uh, incredibly impressive you know yeah absolutely you know they're they're stepping beyond what they have traditionally done and they're developing new capabilities and they're trying to help their local communities as well uh evolve and develop capabilities to to help them fulfill the the dreams that they have for what they want their places to become. I do think that, um, you know, 
both again both Kitty and Susan spoke to the the need for sustainable funding mechanisms at place. Um, we've talked about this before, Josie, the need for the structures at a national level to really support local implementation. I think, you know, I think there's a real risk of engaging communities and creating these aspirational plans around what their vision is for their place in the future. And then not, then the RTOs not having the means to continue the work and deliver on the goals. Regenerative work is an evolving process. It takes time. And they've all jumped into this process with the initial funding they've had to start this process. And their communities are now relying on them to deliver on what they're, what they're outlining as their goals. And so I think there's a risk of trust being lost if they're not in a position to be able to continue that. You know, we talked a lot with Kitty about it being an evolving, ongoing process. And so if they don't have that funding, I'm very concerned about uh, what may be, you know, what, what the outcomes will be if they can't continue the work and, and how the communities will respond to that. I think that is a real concern about the, if there's not continued support for this evolving process, then then what will that look like? And I think it goes back to uh, when we think about Michelle Holiday's principles of of uh, living systems living systems principles, and we think about those relationships and structures and that need for the kind of support networks in order to enable this regenerative way of working to emerge. And and what what do those structures look like going forward? And I think funding is one part of that, but but there's also perhaps more intangible support networks and uh, interconnectedness that needs to be developed as well as as we continue and, and if, if we want our regions to to operate in this way. And I think Te Ongomaya is a really great example of, of how that's beginning to happen um, with bringing the regions all together to do that development work um, and to share experiences. Uh, and we also know that tourism industry Aotearoa, our industry association, are working across a number of regions in developing operator capacity and supporting the RTOs to to continue this work in that way. So that we are starting to see some of this um, these networks and structures playing out, I think. Yeah, I think there's definitely uh, a need for national alignment and for all of those organizations to be working together. And, and we're seeing that happening more now than we have uh, ever before in Aotearoa, New Zealand. So I think that's very hopeful. The discussion around indicators is really important. important. Um, you know, I, it was really interesting to hear Susan talk about the different measurements that different regions are using, different indicators, different well-being standards. Um, and so it's something I think that is a big challenge in this work. Uh, and, you know, we, we talk about the importance of honoring place and developing place-specific uh, interventions. So that means that those indicators also need to be place-specific. There's also many who say that perhaps we shouldn't be trying to measure uh, regenerative tourism or regeneration in our places, or, you know, is that something that we should be doing? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting conversation, and I think we've we've spoken a little bit about perhaps this is something we should do an entire episode on uh, about how how can we measure regeneration or regenerative work, and and also should we, like you say, so it'd be, it'd be great to hear from from listeners if that's something that they would be interested in diving more into uh, this this conversation around around indicators of regeneration. 
something that Susan spoke about at the end of, of this episode that really stood out to me was, was this idea that this process has created a shift in consciousness across the country uh, in terms of the way that we're going about managing our destinations. And I think that's really important to to acknowledge because we talk a lot on this podcast about mindset shifts. And I think that Susan's point was that, you know, perhaps not every region has completely shifted to a regenerative approach overnight or over, or over two years even, but that there has been a huge mindset shift in the way that we're thinking about destination management as a country and at a, at a local level as well. Um, and that is really significant and, um, and quite exciting, quite hopeful, I think, for, for our future. Yeah, I was really excited to hear that too, Josie. I think it is very hopeful. Um, you and I both know that, that in order to really take on a regenerative approach to anything does require that mindset shift and, and that raising consciousness is when she said that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's a tingly moment, right? Because it's like, wow, this really is happening across the whole country in all 31 regions. They're coming together to have these conversations. And I think that's something that we can be really proud of in New Zealand. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this is partly why we wanted to make this a two-part episode, because we think it is something that is worth spending a bit of time on to reflect on this this big national process. But but in our next episode, um, you're going to hear from, from two regions who are at opposite ends of the country. We're going to hear from Tim Bark from, from Wanaka and the Queenstown Lakes District down in the south of New Zealand. And then you're going to hear from Tanya Burt, who is in Taitokoro in, in Northland. So we're going to hear two perspectives from, from regions about, about the process that they've gone through, uh, the way that regeneration or this regenerative approach might have played into that, uh, and how the community is engaged with, with this process as well. So we had some really uh, interesting conversations with these two regions and we're really excited to share those with you in the next episode so definitely stay tuned for that and um, and do share your thoughts with us about this episode as well because I think this is a really big and important conversation that we need to be having um, at at a local level in our in our regions but at a national level and, and internationally as well kind of sharing these stories uh, about the way that we manage our destinations. So we do have a growing network on LinkedIn. Our group is called Good Awaits, a regenerative tourism network. So that's a great place for you to come and join us and join in the conversation if you have some thoughts on this or any other of our episodes. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of Good Awaits and also to Kitty Galter and Susan Hodge McKenzie. Yeah, thank you so much to to both of them for joining us. It's been a um, really interesting series of conversations and um we're really grateful because they're both very busy people. So yeah, we're really appreciative of their time. Thank you to to you all for listening to this episode of Good Awaits. Uh, if you want to stay up to date with us, then please subscribe to the podcast on your podcast app of choice. We're on Spotify, Apple Music. No, what are we on? We're on Spotify, the Apple Podcast app. Uh, wherever you get your podcast, you'll be able to find us. And, and also please rate and review us if you feel so inclined i uh, would really love to receive your feedback and it does help us so we'd really appreciate it it does 
This podcast is hosted and produced by us, Debbie Clark and Josie Major. And audio production is by our fabulous Clary Macklin, who we couldn't do this without. Thanks, Clary. We really appreciate your support. And if you're hearing all this about about Aotearoa New Zealand and the work that's going on here in terms of regenerative uh, tourism, and you'd like to come and see some of it for yourself, then please go to the show notes and have a look at our Good Awaits Aotearoa Regenerative Tourism Experience. Uh, in March of 2023, we're going to be taking an experience. The two of us will be guiding it. Uh, through Aotearoa and visiting some of the wonderful people that you have heard from on this podcast. So we would absolutely love to have any listeners of the podcast to join us on that. Um, You can find more information and reach out to us about that in the show notes. Yeah, I can't wait to go. uh, I can't wait to go on tour with you, Josie. It's going to be amazing. So thanks again for listening to Good Awaits. It's great to have you with us on this journey.